How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast. We will spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You are listening to a live broadcast of Hey 19, where we will educate, illuminate, and entertain. And by the way, um, I've been informed that we're going to switch off of Hey 19 by my next show. We're going to go back to our regular NRM streamcast. Um, but it seems it's uh, dependent on the governor who's uh, said things will open up by May 28th. So the studio is going to go back to our regular broadcasting. Um, at this point, I assume I'm still on the same time. We may move things around. But uh, this is our last show for Hey19. If you want to call in, of course, that's 844 999 9249 Now we can talk anything you want. Corona. I have my own things. I figured with uh, with my last show that'll be specifically geared towards Corona. So um, so this is really a good time to get through a couple things. So writing myself a little note over here. First of all, I actually tested positive for the antibodies. So I've received my first call from the hospital. They wanted to make sure when my symptoms were about six weeks ago. And it needs to be a month. So I am waiting for my next phone call to tell me when and where I can go to give my plasma. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Interesting to know, I believe the number, about half of the plasma donated has actually come from Orthodox Jews. Just an interesting, nice fact to to talk about. Because we always have this, this, I don't want to call it a balance, we have things that are called a Kiddush Hashem. We have things that are called a Chil Hashem. Basically, it just means you can either sanctify God's name or you can profane God's name. When people say, oh, those Jews, look what they're doing, that's profaning God's name. I always have friends that would talk to me and they'd say, how come whenever there's somebody with a Ponzi scheme, it's a Jew? I said, I don't know why, but they don't make us look too good. Um, Kiddush Hashem means you're sanctifying God's name. So, obviously, those ideas of giving plasma is something that we're proud of. What we're not so proud of is um, when sometimes people have not been following properly all the different rules and regulations set up by the government, um, how to social distance, when to social distance. And and don't get me wrong. You know, there's a lot of things that I, I do believe the government got wrong. There's a lot of things that they're just... There, it's it's almost whether it's political, whether it's money, whether it's they can't decide who which business should open, which one can't open. I, I don't think they have a good handle on how to do things. Like there was a city in Israel where there was a major outbreak. They shut down the city. There were gates. You weren't going in or out. They the grocery store was basically a a um, an outdoor tent where you drove up, you made your order, they put it in. That's a quarantine, especially nowadays with the internet, you can order anything. Not that we're in quarantine, but you can go shopping. We're in quarantine, but you can go to the Targets, the Walmarts of the world because you need your, I don't know what, 
it, you can order it all online. It almost doesn't matter. So, so therefore, what happens is, I, you know, I heard a video, and, and the lady was right. She says, I have a little store. It's a jewelry store. I can arrange to only let one or two people in at a time, and I can make a living. But if you don't let me open for two and a half months, then, then you're killing me. So why is it that the targets can have their, their six feet apart or the Meyer six feet apart or wherever you walk, all the signs six feet apart? Why can't the little, the little guy do the same? In other words, you, you're, 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 I, I don't know. I'm not one to get so into politics. I don't know why it is. I think they made a lot of mistakes. I think they did a lot of good things. Don't get me wrong. They definitely had to deal with the curve, and they had to protect the hospitals, and they have to protect the elderly, and they have to help. But I think a lot of things, um, especially on a state level, they just just made a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes hurt people, and that's really the sad part. So the the politicians can say what they wish. It's all power, and uh, almost get away with it. But that's not what bothers me the most. What bothered me the most was a story that happened a couple weeks ago. I was going to talk about it. We had so many great guests. I just uh, I didn't have a chance. But today I figure, especially since I last Hey 19, um, let's give it a little shot. Uh, there was a mayor of a certain city um, who should go nameless, uh, de Blasio. And, again, he was frustrated. The, the story, there was a, there was a, a funeral, and, and a lot of people got involved, and they, there wasn't social distancing. And again, without getting into all the details, uh, the police had sanctioned everything. They had told people what to do and where to stand, and they were listening. The problem was they also made a mistake. There were loudspeakers set up, and for whatever reason, they said no loudspeakers. And they did this at the last minute when there was no one to tell them what was going to happen. Well, no loudspeakers. You want to hear the eulogy. People started crowding. It made people nervous. Now, just because, you know, a day earlier the Blue Angels flew over uh, one of the parks in New York City and there were, I don't know how many people gathered, but for whatever reason, the mayor who should go nameless, de Blasio, um, he decided to tweet out a very dangerous anti-Semitic statement because that's, that's the way life goes. In other words, we understand there's a lot of people that are frustrated and people are trying. And there are those small groups that do not always follow. And those small groups are everywhere. I don't care who you are, what color you are, what religion you are. They're, most are listening. And, of course, there, there are those few who are not. But to single out a group, especially a religious group, is only asking for, for terrible trouble. And if you think I'm making this up, um, it's historical. My children always ask me, like, wh- why do we need to study history? Why-, why is history so important? And the reason is if you don't study history, it's going to repeat itself. You can get a pretty good feeling what happens, what people do, how people react by seeing when there were similar situations, how people reacted at a different point in history. No matter what people say. My kids say, oh, there can never be another Holocaust. I said, who said said, all you need is the right political atmosphere and the right, the need for scapegoats and, and, and economic, uh, you know, issues. A- anything could rehappen. There's no such thing as uh, things can't happen, right? That statement, again, not to get too political, never again. Who says never again? You say, well, you have an army? You, you, you can't decide never again. That's ridiculous. 
But let me give you a, a little bit of history to show you what happens when, when, when people start singling out groups and what happens. These happen to all be Jewish examples. They're all anti-Semitic examples. But I think it gives you a good idea. And they all happen to be surrounded um, with uh, when there were plagues and things happening. The most famous, of course, is the Black Death. The Black Death was from 1347 to 52. Um, about a third of Europe died. And the plague did not care if you were Jewish, if you weren't Jewish. It killed everybody. However, it became convenient to blame the Jews. People were frustrated. People were nervous. It's easier when I can say it's not my fault. So because they blamed the Jews, 200, um, we'll call them cities, they probably were villages, were actually burnt down. Right? They blamed the Jews, poisoned the wells, whatever they did. But you see what can happen. People can go ahead and get nervous. They don't have a good answer. Somebody can make a statement, which is ridiculous. How would they know Jews poisoned wells? Like, why would they think that? And why would the Jews poison their own wells? Like, the whole story didn't really make sense. And still, some people made the statement. Enough people decided, I'll believe it. And, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of Jews got killed, not because of the plague. So you think, ah, old history. No, no, no comparison. You, you can't compare, you know, the Middle Ages. People weren't so intelligent. They, they didn't think clearly. They got carried away. Okay, let's fast forward to the very early 1900s. The very early 1900s, um, there was actually two different, um, well, you know, I'll call them plagues if you'd like, or diseases that came out almost at the same time. One was the typhus epidemic. Uh, which was 1892, followed a few months later by the, by the cholera epidemic. Both were 1892. It seems it came, the, the, typhi, the cholera, I think, for sure came from Russia. But here's what happened. First of all, typhus was terrible. I mean, we're, we're, however bad we want to compare and look at what's happening with corona, typhus killed one in four people. One in four people who came down with typhus died. That's 25%. And we know corona, even though the numbers, they make it look like 7%. I don't know. But we know those numbers are not real because I, I'm a perfect example. Um, I was not tested. So I am not on any list in the government for being tested to be positive. But I've recently tested positive for the antibodies. Obviously, I had it, right? So I'm not in the numbers, though. So I, I've heard numbers 50 to 75 times or 85 times more than the numbers, because the doctors told us don't go to the hospital um, unless you have to get in, unless you're difficulty breathing. So if that's what the doctors were telling everybody, we understand there, and, and we don't even know with children, because again, most children, it barely affects them. Obviously, there's some terrible situations happening, but overall, so, so you know, a million and a half in America is really 75 million, or maybe 150 million. We're talking about humongous numbers of people who did have corona. So now you're talking a half a percent, a quarter percent. It's not good. Don't get me wrong. But it's not typhus. One in four people who caught it died. What happened was there were um, actually 200 passengers, Jewish passengers on a boat. I actually wrote it down. It was called the Mesilla, or Mesilla maybe. And um, what they did was they tested them. They found they had typhus, and they put them on some horrible island, um, probably on the Hudson River, and um, it smelled garbage, and they who knows what they did to them. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was they decided to start blaming Jews. So they actually started um, rounding up Russian Jews 
in some of those uh, Manhattan neighborhoods and shipping them off to that island. Okay, that's bad. But it really got worse. It got worse um, three months later when there was cholera, and they did quarantine immigrants. Any immigrant coming in was quarantined. They felt it was coming from Russia. But they started closing down Jewish butchers. Um, They started evicting um, the dwellers in the tenements. And here's amazing. I wrote this down for myself. Um, The police in. Ready for this one? Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, Port Huron. That's about an hour and a half from here. Montreal and Baltimore. There are probably more. They blocked any Jews from getting off trains or buses um, coming from New York. So just being Jewish, they automatically blamed cholera on the Jews. And just imagine, you know, how much anti-Semitism was going on, how dangerous it was for Jews, you know, in the, in the late 1800s. Or it was in the early 1900s, 1892. But you're getting off the train, the police are standing there, they're putting you back on the train. I mean, this is what happens when people are not careful. And a half-baked apology is not the point. The point is for any politician, for anybody who has a microphone, words are very, very powerful. And if an important person says something against, I don't care, any culture, any race, any color, any religion, I don't care, when they make that statement, it gives a lot of people excuses to say, well, look, he said, must be true. Because this important person said it. So, I mean, that's also a sad part. That also tells us maybe we should be careful who we choose and, and who we look up to, to to make any statements. So, so again, I thought all these things, it's just a good time to remind ourselves, you know, things are opening up. Hopefully uh, there will not be a second wave. I don't care that people say there's going to be a second wave. Um, I'm not convinced there'll be a second wave. People will be careful. People will wear masks. We got to get people out. We got to get the economy opened up, but we have to be safe. So there's a lot of good ways to be safe because we've anyways all been around, right? Yes, there are people that are that aren't going anywhere, but we're all going shopping. So we're anyways all over the place. So be safe. And again, there's been a you know it's been such a large amount of people that have that have caught it already. And nobody even knows. So again, we have to be healthy. We have to be safe. We do not go everywhere where we always have gone before. But at the same time, right, we do need to be careful when there's groups that get together. So, again, you have to, you have to be careful social distancing. And hopefully very soon the, uh, the different states will open up more. As I told you um, in the last show, um, in my area they've allowed what we call a backyard minion. That means you can get a quorum of 10 men, you space them out all over the place, and, um, and that's legal. That is legal. No problem. You're allowed to do that. Um, I had one this morning in my backyard. The first time I prayed with a minion, with a quorum, pretty much since everything was shut down. I mean, not at all. I wasn't leaving my house. I follow rules and regulations. But if it's allowed, it's allowed. So we had it this morning. It was, it was beautiful. Also, having the beautiful weather. So I have a nice big cement area. So spread out 10 chairs. Half the people didn't even want to sit. Everybody was in their area. Um, we prayed. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Because we're allowed to do it. Hopefully they'll let those numbers go up a little bit. Um, 
I, I, the synagogues, they've told the rabbis can each decide what to do. They want to be in their parking lot. They want a tent in the in the in the back um, in the back of the synagogue. Most people are still a little nervous about actually going into buildings, but um, all that um, hopefully will will start to move along. Um, I hear sports things are starting to open up. Um, hopefully, the camps will be allowed to open up for the children. The children really need to get out. they got to run around, get them off these tablets, get them off just sitting around the house. You know, I know myself. You know, uh, so I got the corona, and I lost six or eight pounds. Um, then the holiday came, and I gained it back plus. Uh, and then the first week, you know, in the house, you're just eating all day long. Like you have to learn to stop eating. So I exercise. I go up and down my staircase for 20 minutes. But you got to get out. For your own mental health, your kids got to get out. They got to climb trees. They got to roll around in the grass. They got to ride bicycles. They got to play baseball. They got to get out. So hopefully as, as, as things are moving along and, the, and people are careful with the social distancing and, and certainly they find a vaccine, but we got to have camps. Get all the kids in camp so nobody older will be there. Watch them. Take their temperatures. Be on top of the situation, but but you got to do this for your children. I, I was speaking to someone. I had to be in the bank this morning. I actually had to get an appointment to go to the bank. Um, so while we were sitting there, um, she asked me, you know, what's with the kids? What do I do? I told her I'm a teacher. So she was talking about her son, and we were also discussing, you know, no matter how beautiful the the Zoom meetings and the and the conference calls and the worksheets we give out, the children are going to fall behind. Obviously, your, your, your A students are not falling behind. They get the worksheets. They're fine. Um, and your, your, your students that really have difficulty, unfortunately, they're always having difficulty. But that middle group, which is a big group, they're really going to lose a lot. There's, a, there, there's so much they're going to fall behind. I, I told this woman in the bank, I said, when we open up schools next year, hopefully that's the goal, and hopefully not the way they're doing it in the Netherlands, like we said in the last show, where have, you know you let the kids go two days a week, the other kids go two days a week. Again, you're, it's 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 barely a band aid. You gotta get school up and running. The children need to be in a structured learning environment. We can do it safely. You gotta just work on it to make sure it's done properly. Parents have to get back to work, but otherwise they're gonna fall so far behind. What are you going to do? Put them back a grade? Change your curriculums for grades? I mean, it, it, it's it's just not healthy. But okay, you know, I, I got my rant. This was my, uh, I think it was my only Hey 19 rant in my, I think, 20 Hey 19 shows. I think we did about 20 shows. I don't remember the exact number. I'm sure it's on my archive exactly how many of the Hey 19. And of course, once we go back to my regular NRM Streamcast shows, I have no idea what number I'm up to. I, I, my computer just got too hard. Double shows. So I wrote down 146, but I'm probably in 170. I don't know. Someone will figure it out. Somebody who, who knows how to do math. We have a few minutes left. So let's talk this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is called, and the book, by the way, in Hebrew, is called Bamidbar, which means desert. Interesting in English, that's not the name of the book. In English, the, the fourth book of Moses is called Numbers because there's a lot of counting going on. The Jewish people are counted numerous times. And if I have an extra minute or two, I'll try to throw some things in about it. But it's called Desert. 
because the verse points out we received the Torah in the desert. So if you listened to my last show with my guest Roy uh, Cohen from the Netherlands, so he talked about that his father ran the nature reserve in whatever southern Mitzvah Rimoni said, in a southern farm area in Israel. So he grew up himself on a farm in the desert. And Roy talked about, it was really amazing, Roy talked about how he would go into the desert, he would be there by himself, like him and God. And he was an atheist when he was growing up then. But you almost can't help it. The uh, 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 Just a quiet, empty desert, it's just you and God. And he, Roy said you could feel that. It, it, it was, it was, he didn't say it was tangible, but you could feel it. You felt God's presence. You're alone in this awe-inspiring place. And that's where we receive the Torah. We receive the Torah in a desert. So part is that, yeah, you're in a desert. You're, you're just, there's nothing else happening, right? It's like your kids with the, by, the, by the table. Hopefully they don't have their phones on. But you might have your phone on, and they're trying to get your attention because we got so many things going around. We don't got time to think anything. But in a desert, you have time to think. So that's one facet of receiving the Torah in a desert. However, there's a few beautiful other facets that I, that I wanted to, to bring up. Um, one is um, people say sometimes, oh, if you really want to learn Torah, you have to study in Israel. Oh, if you really want to study Torah, you have to be in New Jersey, or you have to be by this rabbi, or in this school. People could say that. So the Torah says that the Torah was given in a desert. No city, no special rabbi. Yeah, we had Moses. He just brings us the Torah, but, and taught us the Torah. Let's not, not uh, get that wrong. But the fact that God said, I'm giving the Torah in the middle of the desert instead of first bringing the Jewish people into the land of Israel and after they're in the land of Israel, then to go ahead and and give them the Torah, people would say, oh, you see, God gave the Torah in Israel. Must be the only place you can actually study Torah is, is in Israel. God didn't want that. God wanted to make sure that everybody understands. I gave you the Torah in the desert. You can get Torah anywhere, anywhere you want to study any city you want to live, I'm not saying there aren't better cities to study because there's more Torah going on there, or there's better teachers there, of course, in such a situation. But, but no area is precluded. That was a good word, precluded. There's no single area that, oh, here you could learn, here you could study Torah, here you can't study Torah. No such thing. Again, obviously, you want to hang out with, with people who have the ability to teach you Torah, otherwise it's a little silly. That's one. Um, a second facet of the desert is something fascinating. Um, a desert is a place you, like you walk on it. It's like there's nothing to it. There's nothing special about it. And therefore, it's very symbolic of being humble. A desert is humble. It's not a mountain. It's not a roaring river like we have some roaring up in Midland, Michigan right now that are flooding everything. Um, it's not an ocean. It's not forest, trees that go who knows how high. It's humble. Because God says, if you want to get Torah, you need God's help. Just there's so much to study and so much to know and so much to remember and so much to compare and contrast. You need God's help. So God says, you sit and study my Torah, I give you help. But there's a few rules and regulations. If you want God to help, you got to be humble. God only wants to hang out 
with people that are humble. So again, so the desert is symbolic of being humble so that you can study. I had so many things I wanted to talk about. Um, and I basically have 40 seconds to talk still. So I wanted to leave you with an interesting thought again because we're still with Hey 19. Um, Rabbi Elimelech Biederman talked about anxiety. And he, he says like this. You want to know how to not have anxiety? Write down all your blessings. Remember them when you pray. If everybody would stop worrying about what they don't have and would only think about all the good. When I worry about what I don't have, I forget all the good I have. I have so much good. God gives me so much good, my health, my family, my children. Um, I guess those of us who have a job or maybe unemployment. But there's so much good we have. Stop wasting time on worrying about what you don't have. Just pay attention on the good stuff. Pay attention to the things you do have, and that will wipe out all the anxiety. And here comes my music. So, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Remember, stay healthy, stay safe, enjoy your children. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have David and Angel in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.